listening to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, presented by Brandon Elliott. This show will be going over all aspects of real estate investing and is intended to educate, motivate, and prepare you to take action on your first or next real estate investment. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Welcome back, everyone, to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Elliott. Super excited today. We have a special guest coming out from Florida, a wholesaler, new into the game just the last two years, or maybe a little over two years now. Just super excited from the growth, the mindset behind this individual is super awesome, and how he's done it. So you guys are going to be able to get the behind the scenes and really get to learn how to start crushing it as a wholesaler in real estate investing. So Justin, what is up, brother? How you doing, man? Doing well, doing well, you? I'm doing great, man. I appreciate you taking the time to be on here. Excited to to get your story out to the people. So for anybody out there that's crazy that doesn't know who you are, do you mind just diving into who the heck you are and what you do? Yeah, man. So uh, I have a business partner. We, we both are based out of South Florida. We fix and flip homes and we wholesale as well. Kind of the Miami, Fort Lauderdale area. We're kind of delving into more aspects of lead generation on a daily basis, kind of getting after it. I met you through a multifamily conference, Rod Cleese uh, conference. We're also getting into the multifamily aspect as well. You and I hit it off. So here we are. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, man. Excited. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's really awesome to see the power of networking and getting out there, getting out of your comfort zone, going and educating yourself, getting the awesome content that we did at that event, but also the people that we met there. Super awesome. Yeah, definitely, man. Uh, That was one thing that really stuck out to me is just the power of, like you said, building your network, especially that multifamily aspects, real teamwork based industry. Everyone's trying to get in as partners on deals and everything. And it was, uh, it's pretty cool, man. And yeah, Rod's got a lot of stuff with the mindset yep. as well. Conquering your mind, kind of going above and beyond what you think your limitations are. Yeah. So, Justin, how did you pick wholesaling or did wholesaling pick you? <laughs> no, I actually, my business partner down here, he was getting into it a little bit. And we came down here and uh, took a look at what we were doing. I, I realized I wasn't happy with what I was doing in my work. One of the, uh, the inspiration to be able to do my own thing. And we saw that wholesaling really provides you unlimited resources in terms of, uh, you know, there's tons of deals out there. There's really no risk involved in it if you know what you're doing. Uh, You learn about the area, the real estate there, and uh, you can really scale it if you you take some time to actually learn what avenues work best for you. So it seemed like uh, the best route to go, man. And real estate's pretty cool, you know? Fixing homes is awesome too, so... We uh, this is kind of where decided that's probably the best route to go and see what happens. Okay. So let's back up a second. Why real estate for you? Uh, real estate just makes the most sense, man. I've always wanted to, to invest in multifamilies. The biggest thing is having capital to do that, right? Wholesaling affords that, that kind of quick cash when you're able to, to do that. Obviously, it's not the most tax efficient manner investing. Still get taxed the same as everyone else, but uh, taking that money and putting it into multifamilies where you have the cash, where you have the depreciation aspect, just all the scalability that comes with that. So when I think of investing, I think you've got stocks, you've got gold, uh, Bitcoin, I guess, uh, and real estate, right? And real estate kind of affords you the opportunity to use other people's money to invest in a deal. It affords you the tax benefits to write everything off. And as you know, Taxes are usually your worst or your, your largest fee you have to pay every year. So just all that just makes too much sense, man. It's like, that's got to be the best investment bar none going around. And it's pretty stable as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you get a physical asset and it, it's something that in comparison to stocks or crypto, which is out of your control, like if yeah. the CEO of one of the stocks that you're investing in decides to get caught in some scandalous activity or something and your stock plummets yeah. every night, then it's like, it's totally out of your control. But yeah. having a physical asset will always protect you. Plus, there's so many lucrative ways to go about it and also tax cuts, so many tax breaks. The last four years of me investing. I've paid my taxes, but thankfully I, I brought my deductibles and everything and my write-offs and, and had to pay nothing. Yeah. Uh, so it's super badass. Yeah. And you get to actually control your investment. Like you said, with the you're just putting money there and hoping for the best you yeah. have some analysis, but here you actually can control it and, and 
physically alter the value of your property and you have people paying off your loan. Someone else is paying off your stuff. Like, you can't beat it, man. Yeah, it's, a, it's an awesome win-win. And you provide a service as well, yeah. Yeah, so let's talk about as you started realizing, like you identified you wanted to make your money work into real estate. You decided the strategy that you're going to utilize. And then what kind of education did you receive or any courses or any mentors, like coaches, anybody that actually helped put the whole wholesaling puzzle pieces together for you? Yeah, when you first start off, there's that obviously hump you have to get over where you're like, man, there's so much stuff, I don't know where to go. Kind of like a paralysis by analysis, right? So I actually got a mentor down here who's been doing it for 40 plus years someone who kind of guides you and, and doesn't necessarily tell you everything you need to do, but just gives you key principles, motivational stuff as well to kind of give you the direction to head down. You have them in your, in your back pocket. I really believe that all successful people have mentors at some point, people that can, they can trust. The guy we have down here, a salt of the earth guy, trust him with your life basically. Just one of those guys that just shows you kind of the way and they're, they've got that kind of hardened aspect about them to, to want to see their students succeed. Yeah. And then hopefully you grow past that eventually to where you don't need that as much anymore and maybe you get to a point where you're teaching others. So definitely having a, a mentor paid a, lot of, uh, paid a lot off and then just getting after it every day because, of course, he has students that, that don't succeed. You know, they just kind of – well, they want to just have the answers to everything. They, they want it to be easy and – it's not how this game is, man. You got to work your face off every single day and get after it. I love and that. It's kind of had that abundance mindset. You just keep working and working and working. You learn, uh, fail forward, right? You're going to fail a bunch of times, learn from it, move on to the next thing. And before you know it, you'll look back. We're what, two years in? We're not, not even. We're like, wow, come a long ways just in this short amount of time. What's 10 years going to look like? Yeah. No, I love that. Yeah, it's exciting, man. So surrounding yourself with good people that have already been there and done it to be able to really guide you correctly and save you a lot of time, frustration, and money overall so you're not wasting it. Uh, I remember my first deal, along with several others after that, I didn't have that coach, that mentor, or Mm -hmm. anybody to really guide me. I was just picking up books. And that only takes you so far. Once you actually get into the mix of it, I went through so many damn learning curves, a year plus wasted on time plus the money being screwed over several times. So it's like, thank God for for people that actually are willing to give some of their time to help out and really, you know, guide us correctly. Yeah. But even you having, having the guts to get after it, even though you didn't really, were not that comfortable, you know, you were like, I'm going to just figure this out along the way. Right. Instead of just sitting on the sidelines, like I got to read another book or I got to listen to another course, right. Just out there taking kind of massive action, and knowing that you're going to screw up, you're going to do some bonehead moves, but that's all part of the learning process. We, we learn stuff every time we do another deal. Something new pops up. Man, I didn't see that coming. Yeah. No, I'm I love part that. of it. Yeah. Yeah. So. so when you got this coach that was actually guiding you, how long did it take until you got that first deal? So it was maybe November of 2017. And I got my first deal in December, actually a month. A month later, I got my first. That's not typical. It's usually 45 to 90 days, something like that. Yeah. Uh, sometimes longer just kind of depends. And, and it all depends on how much time you can allocate to it as well, right? Sure. I was full-time real estate. I had an engineering degree. I quit my job. I said, I'm going to just delve into this full-time so that I can't look back and say, what if, right? So I, I just delved into it full-time and, and – uh, Whereas some other people might be doing it part-time, you know, and there's plenty of successful people that can do that as well. Part-time just kind of depends on how much you want to devote to it. Yeah. But I was determined, man. I got to succeed at this. There's no, there's no other way. I love that. That just shows yeah. like the, the character of who you are and the mindset that you have is so powerful behind that because you literally just dropped everything, went all in. Yeah. Uh, not having that scarcity mindset of like, well, what if it fails? It's like you were determined knowing that if, if I go all in, this won't fail. Yeah, yeah. Just getting personal here. So mid to end of 2017, my grandfather uh, passed away. Mm-hmm. And I could just talking to him, I kind of sensed stuff that he regretted not doing. Yeah. Right? That hit me hard. And I was like, man, I don't want to ever have that. Yeah. And 
young enough. I'm, I'm not married, don't have kids. And I said, you know, if there's a time to do it and fall flat on my face, time right. is now. Yeah. 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 Time waits for no man type of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. Damn, dude, if that's not motivation, I don't know what is. <laughs> that's powerful. Okay, so as you started doing this education, you got one of those success stories uh, because you were so damn determined and you were able to get a deal within the first 30 or 45 days. Yeah. So afterwards, how did you start systemizing things to be able to scale it? Because I mean, after that first year, it was what, 25 deals? Yeah, yeah. 20, well, it was 22 deals and three fix and flips. Okay. So we uh, dealt between those, cherry picked the deals, some deals that were, we tried to wholesale and we couldn't sell them. And we're just looking at numbers like, man, this makes too much sense. Yeah. Other people didn't see the vision, right? Again, sure. had the kind of audacity to say, I think this is, this is a good deal. I'm going to make this work. Okay. Right? Getting after it. So that I was, it. we've been fortunate enough to be successful doing that so far. So, okay. Mainly wholesaling. Yeah. Okay, so for somebody brand new that's just thinking about, like they just heard about wholesaling yesterday, what kind of tips would you give them to be able to really get started? I know it's not like a blanket kind of answer here, and it's probably a little bit more detailed, but is there anything to just simplify it and make it like, hey, do, do this step number one. You can't do this without, you can't go to number two without doing this. Um. Yeah, I mean, if you, I've just heard about wholesaling, I'd advise great website, biggerpockets.com. They've got a manual that explains what wholesaling is, how it works. Um, you can go on the forums and read what other people have done as well. Uh, the biggest thing that I've noticed is that there's a million different ways to generate leads and all of them work. Yeah. I know people who all they do is drive around and knock on doors and they make upwards of 500000 a year. I know people who all they do is cold call people. There's people who send mailers. There's people who use SEO and internet marketing. So they all work. It's just finding, kind of learning about the business and then finding what aspect you think, you know what, I'd be good at that. And getting out of your comfort zone. And just going after it. So I love it. That's a common thing today. Just get after it. Yeah, yeah. You just got to take action and do it. You're going to learn as you go. It's not going to be perfect in the beginning, but the repetitions is really where you get your success exactly. over time. Exactly right, yeah. So what kind of lead source do you guys typically focus on? So we do uh, cold calling. We do a little bit of driving for dollars as well. And then we do mailers. It's kind of the three things that we focus on. When we first started, it was purely just cold calling. So we did. And then once we learned that and kind of got a, an idea, okay, this is kind of the system we can integrate. We start hiring virtual assistants or other people in-house to kind of take over that. And then you start looking at other leads. Right. Then you got, you start driving around looking at houses, you get that script down, then you hire people to do that. And you start sending mailers and then you start overseeing it. Right. And then once we're comfortable with that lead, that's when we started moving into the, the multifamily space, started seeing what we're making. And we're like, man, uncle Sam's not, not your friend. So yeah. a way to cut this in half. Okay. So which one do you think is like the true bread and butter or are you, is it pretty even across the board? Pretty even, man. Like I said, I think the best advice is to pick one source of, of lead generation and just go all in on it and uh, learn. I have that abundance mindset that, you know, there's deals to be had everywhere. We look at a couple hundred deals a week to find one that might work, just how the numbers are. It's very competitive, obviously, as well. Yeah. But I truly believe that if you just have kind of the gall to keep just getting in and going after and delving into that one lead source, you can make a significant amount of money doing it. Just whatever fits your personality the best. True. Yeah, I like that. You just mentioned that you're leveraging a lot of these lead sources out at this point. Yeah. So are you getting on the phone at all or answering any type of communication with the sellers? Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. I mean, we work with realtors as well. Uh, but yeah, with the sellers, we, we write our own contracts um, just to make sure everything's correct. And, and we still have it to where we actually analyze deals so when the source a lead source comes in, we actually comp the property based upon the pictures and based upon what we've seen on it, how much work it needs, what we think other investors would want to buy it at as well. Sure. So it's not kind of the margin we'd have to get it at to make sense to wholesale to somebody else. So yeah, we, we handle all that, but that's something we're, we're trying to get into as well, training people on how to comp properties so that, uh, that we can 
delegate that task to somebody else and then move to, to other avenues. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Would you mind kind of diving a little bit deeper into comp and properties? Because I feel like a lot of people out there in the beginning, it can be a little overwhelming or they just don't understand the whole concept of, you know, really analyzing a deal and being able to break down the numbers or comping yeah. out the, the ARV. Yeah, definitely, man. So uh, as a general rule of thumb, I think most investors uh, want to get it at about 70% uh, ARV. So, you know, full market value. Um, so you obviously have to get it less than that to make sense. And obviously if it has major issues like a, like a hole in the ceiling or mold or something like that, just major stuff's going to cost a lot of money. It can end up being much less you need to get it at. So generally what I like to do is I like to locate the house on Google maps and then zoom out and kind of, draw a, a box around the neighborhood and figure out, okay, well, this is the actual neighborhood. If it's across this major street or anything like that, it probably is a different neighborhood. Comps don't relate. So stay within like a tight half, half mile radius within the same neighborhood. Look at what the fully renovated properties are going at. You know, you need to get it uh, more than 70% of full market value. Just and that, And that's not like a, concrete rule just kind of what i've observed and, and read as well and seen yeah it's uh, a rule of thumb because i mean yeah. in all areas it's a little different what what is the uh median home price in, in your area oh man it just depends so we work a tri-county yeah. area sure. so you know miami is is really expensive uh up in palm beach is is uh is a little bit cheaper but still expensive in certain areas kind of like the further out you get from the beach yeah. Uh, the less expensive it gets, so yeah. it's kind of all over the place. Yeah, I know the home medium price here in San Diego is about six fifty, six ish thousand. So that that is a little different in comparison to like a, a comp property in Ohio or yeah. uh, you know different yeah. places around the country. Yeah, what I've noticed just from the other investors we've worked with is that if a property's above five hundred thousand dollars. It's really hard to sell. Even in the fours, it's really tough. It's probably just move a lot slower. But if you've got a deal at like 100,000, 120,000, people, I mean, that thing flies off the shelves like that. You, okay. you got your mother trying to see it. So it's just, I guess, you know, less capital at risk. You know, people are just wanting to invest in multiple deals instead of tie all their equity up in one property. So yeah, it's right around where their budget is and, and it makes yeah, sense yeah. to pick up. So, yeah, 52, maybe 250 is like the sweet spot. That's what, what I've observed. Okay, cool. So you're saying the 70% rule, you need to get it, obviously. That's roughly where you would be selling it at uh, yeah, exactly. to another investor. Yeah. So you need to get it at an even better price than that and depends on how beat up the house is, if there's a hole in the roof or the whole deck needs to be replaced or yeah. something, then yeah. those issues. The, the biggest thing is gauging seller motivation. When you talk to a seller and if they're just looking for the highest price to get their home sold at, it's probably not going to be a good deal. But if it's somebody who's delinquent on their taxes or can't pay their mortgage or they have a bunch of liens on their property and they need to get out of the property, you approach it in a way and say, look, I'm, I'm here to be a problem solver for you. I can help you get out of this, this situation and usually you, you get it for a good price, right? You're, you're resolving an issue for them. Yeah. So they're fortunate and they're happy that they don't have the government coming down on them or their lender coming down on them or the city coming down on them, whatever. And then you're able to wholesale somebody else. So you make some money. You have an investor who feels like he got it at a good price so he can resell it. So it's a win all around. Yeah. Like, but just being able, I mean, it's, I know sales kind of has like a negative connotation, but I think we're all in sales a little bit. Of course. Uh, but just being able to build that rapport with the seller and identify what problem they're dealing with, just learn to listen and really see how can I help this person out of their situation. And yeah. you just listen, man. Uh, they they kind of get a feel for you. People get that and they pick up on that vibe you're giving out, right? You know, this is a really nice guy. He wants to help me out. Yeah, I need the money, but he's also helping me out of the situation. And he feel good at the end of the day helping people. I've had some really strange issues happen. Really interesting people I've met that we had to get them out of some situations, but it's always rewarding. 
Yeah, I definitely want to re-ask you that question towards the end, like what's your wildest stories, but I want to save that towards the end um, and dive into a little bit more of figuring out the comp. So basically figuring out, making that map, drawing out the map of your subject property, going back six months at the furthest. Basically back a year. I'd I'd sold. Okay. It's trending up right now. You should go back about a year just to see kind of when it's sold. And you can guesstimate, right? If you're in between and you see that something sold exactly a year ago, you're like, okay, it's probably worth a little bit more than that. Sure. Yeah. And that's just the feel thing, really. I don't bank on that. I uh, certainly don't look at active properties. I think active properties usually are kind of a, uh, a wish. Hey, I hope I can get it at this, prop- at this price. Yeah. But actual closed comparables show, hey, someone bought it at this. And, and you close within the proximity of the subject property as close as possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Within a half mile radius, um, yeah. going around getting a feel for the neighborhood. If it's a, a neighborhood that's a mile wide, then obviously you can have a mile wide comp radius in there. So it just yeah. kind of depends on that. But I always look at Google Maps, man, trying to figure out, well, this is the main road right here and this is. You yeah. see structure sometimes down here especially. There's like canals that divide neighborhood so it makes it pretty easy to to know where one ends and another begins and kind of like going back a year and guessing uh, approximately you know a little bit more now uh, a year later you, you already kind of know what the um the increase in price is the last year or so so you can kind of do the math right there yeah uh it, it's a good thing to see right yeah. like if you have a property that full market value is 316 that sold a year ago Okay, maybe it's worth 370. I don't know. I don't have one. If you have some actives on the market for 380, 390 that are fully renovated, you can okay, maybe they'll settle at 370 or something like that, right? Uh-huh. Hard concrete numbers, you would go with the one that sold and know that, okay, that's at least the minimum someone's going to get for that property at resale value, fully renovated. Okay. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Um, and like, are you utilizing resources like city data or uh, other areas that you can? A lot of people use like Zillow, Redfin, Trulia to look up properties in the area. We actually have access to the MLS down here. Nice. Uh, we can look at like city data yep. in terms of do the actual square footage, the actual uh, beds and baths, if it has a pool, lot size, things like that. You kind of dig deeper on it. And, uh, that kind of allows you to get the full spectrum of what's going on. But I know plenty of successful people that don't have access to it and they, they use all three of those resources yep. and they get a feel for which one they like the most. I know a lot of people like Redfin seems to be a little more accurate than truly or Zillow. And uh, it just shows all the properties in the area. So just kind of delve. And the more you do it, you know, first time you do it, it might take you an hour and a half. Yeah. And it's no way that's sustainable. But as you get better at it, you really start learning more of the area you're working in. Uh, you can start picking up stuff quicker. And a lot of times, even now, I'm on the phone with a seller and they'll tell me where their property is located. And if they give me what they're asking for price-wise, I usually know whether it's a good deal or if it's expensive. Sure. What yeah, I like that. You know, at the end of the day, it, it is all about the, the reps, the reputation. Yeah. You know, get out there and you got to keep on doing it. But for the listeners out there, you know, I guess the ideal comp, like the best comp ever is going to be the one that's uh, just sold the last week, you know, either neighbors or across the street from you. The same size as square footage, same lot size, the same number of uh, bedrooms, baths, same style of home. All these things have a small little factors to it that really add to the total value of getting exact comparable um, value for the property. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the only thing I would say about that is sometimes people will overpay for houses. Yes. I'll give you an example. I was looking at one yesterday. There was a house, same size. It went for like 420, but all the rest of them that were the same size in that general area went for like 380, 390. So just one of those where someone fell in love, they're asking too much, someone fell in love with it and kind of overpaid for it, right? Whereas you got five or six at 380, 390 and one at a 420, it's like, well, okay, I guess if I can get, if they can get somebody in a pipe dream to sell at 420, but an investor is going to look at that and say, this is probably worth 380, 390. I'm going to just 
throw out that 421. Yeah, of course. I like that. Yeah, yeah, So the more evidence you have, the better feel you get. More comps you have that meet that same criteria for what you're looking for really helps. And honestly, I, I learned a lot from the fixing and flipping aspect as well. So what materials cost, what labor typically costs, and kind of do a synopsis of, okay, in order to get a full renovated house from what it looks like now, you're going to need you know, floors, cabinets, vanities, whatever. This is probably the range it's going to cost them. And so you can factor that in to what you need to buy it at, add the rehab value in there. And then most investors are probably wanting a 15 to 20% return. Yeah. Their, uh, their money when they, once they're done fully renovating. Sure. Yeah. You know, I'm sure you get this question a lot. Uh, I know I do as far as really understanding the numbers that go into remodeling a house and mm-hmm. how, how did you get good at that? Besides overall, the theme of this, I guess, <laughs> is the repetitions. Yeah, it was really just trial and error, man. Yeah. Um, countertops, for example. Going to a bunch of slab manufacturers and picking out uh, the slabs, you know, I like to look at the million-dollar homes, the one-and-a-half million, two-million-dollar homes, and look at what they've done. We do a lot of, like, luxury, modern-style homes, kind of white and bright, square look. Looking at what they've done, saying, okay, well, I could probably do this and this, but I could do it. I can make it uh, look almost as nice, but cheaper, right? Like not marble tile, but actual ceramic tile that looks like marble. Yeah. Countertop as opposed to like a expensive marble tile. And just going to all your vendors and calling around and getting bids. It takes forever, but you build up a list of people. So not only do you get your materials, but you also get your guys that are doing work on your house, like electricians, tile layers, uh, plumbers, just call them and, and see what bids they give you. A lot of times they'll come in really high. You got to kind of bring them back down to earth a little bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's just kind of trial and error the more you do it. But going to the first guy and discussing, hey, man, what will you give me for this? Or what would you charge me to do this? You don't know what your, the other competition in the area is doing. Sure. So, it's just getting that kind of, I guess, book of all those contacts in there. Yeah. So you're building these relationships. Are you getting a lot of referrals or are you just meeting new random people? In terms of vendors? As far as contractors go, uh, once you're getting out there to do general work for these remodels to get a a, a fair estimate of uh, this property is going to cost 30 or 40,000 to remodel. Yeah. So we have found a group of people that we like to work with. And we've kind of negotiated a deal out because we have the deal flow coming through that instead of just doing one-offs, hey, we're going to give you all the work going forward. And so we usually get a better rate that way. And those guys just want to stay busy. So we just keep them hopping from one property to another to another. And their, their, their workers are always staying busy. Sometimes we haven't done this much, but sometimes it might be advisable to give them a piece of the equity as well on the uh, profit-wise, give yeah. them incentive to to get it done quicker, to do a good job, things like that. So obviously you have to factor that into your numbers, but uh, just finding guys you can work with. And, and we're not usually beholden to anyone. There's guys we've worked with that have really good prices and then their prices will just start creeping up job after job. And we're like, man, this guy's getting too expensive. We're going to find another guy. Yeah. Right. And then we use the other guy and his prices are creeping up three months later or whatever. The old guy calls us back and says, hey, man, what's going on? Oh, man, your prices are too expensive. Oh, no, 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 I'll hook you up. I'll give you a good price again, right? So then you're just rotating guys all the time, moving yeah. one guy out and the other one back in type of thing. Yeah, that's good. I like that. Yeah. And what you just mentioned a moment ago was joint venturing with your contractor. That is yeah. some of the most solid uh, gold nuggets right there. I love that. I, I personally haven't done this yet, but I know a lot of good close friends of mine that have, and wow. it is, it's the biggest surprise and most shocking when they get it done like a week and a half prior yeah. and, uh, and, you know, under budget and just like flying colors to make sure that this thing gets on market ASAP. It makes a big difference. I sat back and thought about the mentality that we have versus your contractors and you're yep. hearing it a lot of times, right? As investors, we're trying to get it for as cheap as possible, spend as little as possible and sell it for the most. Whereas yep. a contractor doesn't really care what you sell it for. He just wants to get paid and keep his guys working, yep. right? Even if you let him source materials, 
usually he'll tack on a fee up that up that as well, right? So maybe give him a bonus for staying under your budget. Yeah, that's something that's plausible. Like you said, a time bonus as well, finishing up quicker, and then if a piece of the profit as well, that gives him that extra incentive to not to not be just purely about how can I get the most out of my investor or us. Yeah, it's like how can I do a good job, make my investor friend happy, and also make a little extra on the top. Sure. So I love all, it. What can you do for me, right? That's what it's all about. Yeah. And contractors, they do have that mindset and they're more hands-on. They're worried about getting paid every week. Yeah. And then they're also worried about making sure that their guys are constantly working, which all makes sense. So if you can keep yeah. them busy, keep money in their pockets, nine times out of 10, you will be good. And there is a lot of power behind it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep them happy, man, for sure. Yeah. And I, I do personally, when I deal with contractors, I like to do like a pain and a reward type of point, I guess. When it comes down to if they get done early, they get a bonus. If it's under budget, under time, then they get bonuses. If it's late or uh, over budget, I, I don't necessarily penalize. But if it is within the scope of work and nothing outside of the scope of work, then typically there will be some kind of fees tacked on to it to make sure that everybody's being held accountable. Definitely, man. And I think the biggest thing is, is dealing with personalities as well. Yes. So you can have a contractor that does great work. It always turns out nice, but if he's a pain in the ass to deal with, man, not worth it. You're sitting here trying to find leads all the time, source more deals to these guys. And you're having to deal with kind of the menial stuff that takes you away, takes you out of that focus that you're trying to, to establish every single day. Sure. So it's just kind of finding that right balance between someone that you like working with, does a good job, doesn't go behind your back and try to rip you off or anything. And, yeah. A good feel for it. The trust and the transparency needs to be there in all types yeah. of relationships, but also, like you said, identifying people's personality types and really working on your inner like leadership skills so you can really lead somebody to success. In the beginning, when I first started, especially doing this virtually, most of my properties in the beginning, all these flips or, or remodels, they were all in the Midwest and being here in San Diego, 3000 miles away, it's definitely a lot of leadership skills that need to be embraced to be able to lead somebody to success. And overall, you'll get like three things when it comes down to contractors and you're not going to get all three. I've never seen all three in one, but you're either going to get great quality, great price, or the time is on point. So you're never going to be able to get all three. So you got to pick which two <laughs> ideally you can really focus on yeah. uh, because certain areas of the market will be different. Like in Ohio, I can take a little bit longer because I'm getting a great price and I'm getting good quality work. I can wait a little bit longer. Yeah, yeah. And for us down here, a lot of times we do neighborhoods that have big HOA fees, six, mm -hmm. seven hundred bucks a month. Your taxes are astronomical because, you know, everyone wants to live in South Florida. You're relatively close to the beach. We just did one on the water. Um, the 15-minute drive to the – or 15-minute boat ride to the Atlantic comes with its own – boat slip as well and that took us a lot longer just getting permits and stuff from the city oh. um and we were just like man this, this is a pain in the butt right here and it's just yeah. it, it killed a lot of our our profit but we're still going to do do well on it but not yeah. as much as we initially thought because of those unforeseen issues with getting permits passed quickly and things like that so Okay. Let's talk about that for a second. Um, you know, thank God you had a, a buffer in there, but yeah. has there been any learning curves along the way that has been like a, a big smack to the face? And how did you deal with those? Learning curves. There's always stuff you've learned on every single one, man. Sure. Um, like we talked about the contract dealing with those guys, but in terms of selling the homes, uh, I've learned that sometimes sellers can be a little bit nitpicky about certain things. For instance, we had a house in a 55 plus gated community. Yeah. Beautiful modern style. Uh, we had to, we had issues selling it. I had a large drop down living room that so it just kind of came down right. And fifty five plus, most people are probably 60s, 70s. They're probably thinking about retiring there. They were worried about that, right? Like, oh, I'm going to fall down and break my leg. Yeah. It never even occurred to us that that could be an issue, right? <laughs> just stuff like that. We had one where the kitchen sink was right next to the dishwasher and a lot of people commented on that like oh i don't like that it's close to it like i'm 
it was just it was like, well, that doesn't make any sense, but hey, whatever, you know? So you yeah. kind of all think about certain things. Obviously, people like a more open concept, uh, which is why we do like a white and bright look a lot of times because white makes everything look clean, makes everything look new. Yeah. Stage houses, our first couple houses, we didn't stage them. So going in staging really gives people an idea of, well, I could do this in here or that in here, right? We took a, a two-bedroom, two-bath, and we had like a lounge area. We closed it up with some doors, and we put a bed in there, even though it wasn't technically a bedroom, and we were able to advertise it as a three-bedroom, two-bath. We took another two-two, closed off an area in the living room, and put like a small bedroom in there, did some drywall work, made it a three-bedroom, two-bath, sold immediately, right? So just being creative with your space and knowing what people look for. Obviously, a lot of people like three-bedroom, two-baths, so any way you can add there is better. Obviously, uh, kitchens and bathrooms sell yes. bar none by far, especially kitchens. Yep. And, you know, just kind of knowing what you can get away with. We've had some properties where we've almost renovated them up too much, like too nice for the neighborhood. We sold it. We made good money, but we're like, man, we actually put too much into this based on the other comps in the neighborhood. So maybe we could have done a little bit less here and there. Maybe not put tile, maybe only put vinyl flooring. Sure. Right? Things like that, that kind of would bring your cost down, but at least meet up with the rest of the comps in the neighborhood. So it's really knowing your neighborhood well, and then being able to source the materials and that labor to get that house to look exactly like you need it to be without going overboard. Yeah. Okay. I love that. Now, when yeah. it comes down to your wholesales, how long are you typically under contract for? And, and what, how do you like to structure the deal? Like, are you trying to lock it in for as little as possible with as long as possible closing? So the biggest thing is inspection period, as you know. So we usually try to get a 15 day inspection period if we can. Uh, that if you can't sell a deal in 15 days, it's not a deal. Yeah. Right. Obviously you advertise it to your investor, then you mark it up as much as you can. If it's too expensive, you start bumping it down little by little until it gets to the point where you're able to sell it to somebody. But yeah, as long as the inspection period is possible, typical closing is uh, anywhere from 30 to 45 days. It's all kind of seller dependent. Sometimes uh, the buyers of the properties are either cash or hard money. So they have to have a hard money lender come out there, appraise a property that might take five to 10 days for them to get all the paperwork done on that as well. And then you run a lien search, make sure your title's clear. So that's usually like a week or two as well. So you want some ample time in there. So if you're able to sell it quickly within your inspection period and then get all that stuff ran, make sure your buyer's lined up with all their paperwork, if they are doing that or their cash, even better. And, uh, and have all your searches done, make sure your title's clear. It gives you time. And you can close before if the buyer's willing to as well. Obviously, sellers are more than happy to close. Yeah, yeah. We've had we've even had some properties now that we've had some success with our our wholesales, we've had some properties where the sellers needed to close quickly and we knew we just knew based on the numbers it was a really good deal. So we've actually bought it a couple of days after the contract and we sold we held it for maybe a week or two and sold it in that time frame. But that's just comfortability with the numbers, knowing that, hey, we know we're gonna be able to sell this at some point. So we yeah. technically own the property for a couple of weeks. And okay. some guys even do uh, zero day inspections nowadays, which is a whole nother animal because uh, what happens is sometimes wholesalers will type a property for too much and they're not able to sell it to another investor. And so what do they got to do? They got to give it back. Well, if there's a realtor on it, the realtor knows that that's what they try to do. They're mad as can be. So if you go look at the property, like no inspection period, zero days. You're like, wow, I really got to know my comps. I really got to know what's going on. And you still buy it with zero day inspection. You sell it after because you know you have the margin there that you're going to sell it. That's a comp. That's a whole like another step past it. Once you've done a number of deals, you have a comfortability of selling it within your inspection period. You know kind of where it needs to get at based upon your area. And then you can start getting a little more creative with it. Yeah, I was going to say, that is some creative uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. to the, to the yeah. mix right there. That's awesome. Anything to get the deal. You just got to get it tied up. I personally like to tie up my contracts with as little down as possible and closing as, as far as possible. So I've tied up a deal for $1 under contract and it, 
I, I tied it up, locked it in for $35,000. It was worth 90000 planning on wholesaling it. And I put a close date of 60 days on it. So $1 into it and uh, and 60 days to close. I, I had plenty of time to screw around. And, yeah, uh, that $1 you're talking about your escrow? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We usually do $1,000 escrow at least. Yeah. Standard where we're at. I don't know where anywhere else, but. Uh, sure, yeah. 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 Most places are, are definitely, you know, they, they want a couple thousand or 500, yeah. but at the end of the day, it's all about the negotiation power. So. Uh, yeah. And at, and at the end of the day, you could put $100,000 in escrow. Yeah. As long as you get, if you can't sell it and give it back, your escrow is not at risk, right? If you go past and you lose track of time, then yeah, you're kind of legally bound to give that escrow to somebody. So it's, yeah. uh, make sure you have the right contingencies in there, I guess. Do you, do you guys have any type of contingencies? Oh yeah, definitely. We always say uh, property be vacant upon closing. We don't want any squatters in there. Yep. Uh, title's going to be clear of liens and code violations. Yep. We do allow, we put on contract, seller to allow buyer 14 extra days for closing just in case title's not clear or anything like that, comes back right before the closing date and it's not clear to get some maybe open permits or liens or code violations kind of cleared up because a, a buyer investor doesn't want to take it over with that stuff on it as well. So things like that, uh, seller to allow buyer access the property with appropriate notice. We put that as well so that we can show other buyers, right? If, they, if, if you lock up a property, but a seller's not going to let you go look at it again, uh, most investors don't want to buy sight unseen. So you have to do those showings to get them in there for them to look at it in order for them to feel comfortable with the deal and move forward with sending you an offer. I so love stuff in that, yeah, additional terms. Yeah, that's that's so good. I know that's going to be extremely helpful to all the listeners uh, yeah. right now. So that's great. So let's talk about getting your investors list together because a lot of people, that's the, that's the scary part, I guess, out there. Yeah. Um, how did yeah. you guys do it? So, yeah, there's two, obviously two aspects of wholesaling. It's yeah. finding a deal and selling a deal. If you don't have either, well, I take that back. You can actually, if you have a big enough list, you can wholesale other wholesalers' deals. Sure. So, it's actually guys down here who have lists of, who knows, 20,000, 30,000 buyers all over the country, maybe even the world, that all they do is allocate buyer to wholesaler, Right guys that don't have a huge buyer's list. They send it to this guy and he advertises to his large list. His buyer goes and sees it and then he takes a percent commission or he takes like a two, three, four thousand $4,000 joint venture agreement on the deal, right? He takes a fee for bringing you a buyer. Yes. So there's that aspect. That's, that's a whole other business in itself. There's guys who make a ton of money just doing that. They never leave their house. They just have a massive list of get and connect buyers to wholesalers. Okay. Uh, in terms of how we out, uh, look for our um, buyers, uh, there's some county records in terms of who's closed on properties in cash in the last year or two. You can send in mail, say, I get properties all the time. Would you be interested in getting on that list? Um, you can drive around neighborhoods. When you're, if you're doing drive around, as you drive around neighborhoods, you see a dumpster out in front. Okay, someone's probably working on that. Yeah. Knock on it get their info. If there's workers there, give them your card or, or, or whatever and try to get their guys. So that's a one by one approach. Uh, meeting people. Uh, I know a lot of people that are realtors that are also wholesalers as well. So we're not opposed to working with other wholesalers if they bring a buyer and we can negotiate their fees in there. So you kind of, you know, spreading the web all around type of thing. So you just kind of get them one by one by one until over time you have a huge list of people and then you can start advertising, feel comfortable about that, right? And then you might not have to give your property to those guys with those massive lists. Say you do 10 deals your first year. Yeah. And those guys take anywhere from two to 4,000, we'll meet in the middle at three. That's $30,000 out of your pocket they take just for bringing a buyer to you. And what if you had that, right? What if you do 20 deals the next year? That's 60K. You can see how much it takes out of your pocket, right? So it's good to have both. We started off with, just finding deals and bringing them to those guys while we simultaneously built our list. And then we hired people out to start finding buyers on the list and kind of scrubbing and things like that. So, okay. I love that. Is there, is there any techniques to, as you started hiring out, it's virtual assistants, I assume. Yeah. It's virtual assistants. Yeah. Okay. So the biggest thing is you want to save time for yourself. So I do like quick time videos. Yeah. 
explain, hey, this is how it's going to be done. And you can reference back to the video. If you have any questions, obviously I'm here. You are yep. can Eventually they develop the confidence to where, okay, I've done this so many times. It's not a big deal anymore. And some of the unforeseen stuff crops up and you kind of coach them through that a little bit. But yeah, having videos was a, was a game changer for us. Because at first we were dealing with them every day. We're like, man, this is taking away, again, taking away from the other aspects of the more important side of the business. Yeah. You're telling uh, you, I couldn't agree more. I think that is the best way to hire out virtual assistants or anybody really. It's like you can duplicate it. You do it once and then you sh you can show them. It's all plain and simple. It's very like hands-on. And then instead of wasting your time again of showing more people or hiring, like it's just send the video, watch the video. Yeah, um, yeah for sure. Makes man. it a lot easier. Exactly. And then you get better at coaching as well. Yes. You learn what stuff you didn't do good at explaining. Yep. And then you do it you're better at it kind of going through all the minute details Whew, i love it justin i appreciate you so much man dude yeah. what do you think like final advice that you would give to somebody that's looking to jump into real estate and possibly wholesaling and maybe where you were about two years ago what what would you recommend to somebody like that i mean the biggest thing is determining if you're passionate about it uh, kind of saying, hey, I, I want to get into it. If, if it is wholesaling, right? Why do you want to get into wholesaling? Yeah. If it's purely just for uh, the money aspect, when times get tough, it's, it's you're probably going to wane a little bit. Yeah. And, and really being honest with yourself and thinking about how much time you can actually put into it. And then if you can see yourself doing it for a while. So my avenue of the wholesaling was to build capital in order to invest in multifamilies and, and run that business, right? And provide uh, an actual benefit to a number of people around in terms of housing and bringing in people who don't know as much about investing and helping them to invest and grow their net worth, right? That's your kind of a way of giving back to people. So uh, that was kind of the path to getting to multifamilies which we're heading into now. So definitely knowledge is power. So reading, find people in your area that are doing it, willing to work with them. Even if you're not getting paid much, knowledge is more powerful. I know Warren Buffett worked with Ben Graham, father of intelligent investor. And he said, I'll work for free. Yeah. Just to learn from you, right? And he took that knowledge and, you know, he's the best, greatest investor of all time, right? Yeah, yeah. The value of having that mentor there. So being able to kind of put your ego aside, look, I'm willing to do anything it takes to learn, help you in your business. And then once you take that knowledge and you apply it to yourself and how you can kind of grow, it's a win-win situation for everyone. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely phenomenal. Uh, at the end of the day, it's like education's everything. The people you know is everything. And when you're putting it to use and actually taking action on both, then it's just a, a crazy trifecta right there to really yeah. uh, pull it off and, and make it an awesome win. So Warren Buffett, he's still reading like, I think, I don't know, something ridiculous, like four to six hours a day. Yeah, uh, I read eight actually, yeah. Yeah, something crazy. It's like, dude, th this guy's uh, reading as much as some people out there are going to work, like clocking yeah, in. Exactly. Yeah. And, and eight hours is honestly not, not easy for everyone to do. But something I did when I over, first... Over time, it would be though. It's yeah, like it's the repetitions. Exactly. So what I said to myself when I first started in this business is cutting out the distraction, right? I know you have to have your time to decompress, but I, I, you know, I used to play like video games and stuff. I was like, it's not getting me anywhere. I used to watch a bunch of like TV shows not getting me anywhere, right? It's like, what's important to me in order for me to achieve my dreams, achieve my goals, right? I mean, yeah, you can work relentlessly, you know, 16, 18 hours a day until you, and then go to sleep, but you're going to get burned out. So you do need that balance in there. You need to have the balanced life yeah. for sure. But figuring out what distractions you need and don't need are really key. Yeah. I, mean, I can call it a distraction. I love to fish. I love to dive. Yeah. So I go do that, right? Provides food. It's fun to do. Yeah. Know where your food comes from and live off the land. Yeah. So allocating my time to working my face off. Yeah. Eliminating distractions so I can go do the things I love that really improve my life and the sure. others around me. And then feeling like I have a good work-life balance. I enjoy what I do. And this is very sustainable over time. I love it. I love it, man. Justin, what can the listeners do to actually give back to you? You just spent an hour of your time giving back to the listeners. Is there uh, anything that we can do to give back to you? Uh, no, man. I mean, the biggest thing is if you have any, any questions or want to know, uh, you can connect with me on Instagram. Uh, my Instagram is Crow Capital, C-R-O-C-A-P-I-T-A-L. I'm on Facebook as well. 
I'm more than happy to help people, let them kind of learn from what I've done as well. Uh, always looking for people, obviously the multifamily aspects what we're getting into as well. So looking for people who might want to invest down the line. Cool. Uh, I really get a sense. I really enjoy like teaching people and, and showing people what I've done. Yeah. And what I've learned from my mistakes. So uh, that gives me a lot of joy. It's like a way of giving back to people, right? Especially people who are hardworking want to actually like, like we said, get after it every day, right? Yeah. So it's a reward to see somebody who reaches out to you for help, doesn't just want to be spoon fed, but actually takes takes action on that. Yep. And and grows from that and like, hey man, I really appreciate that advice you gave me. And you know, that just that feels great at the end of the day to do something like that for, for people around you. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. I was actually like very surprised when I started coaching people uh, yeah. and I got results right away. It was actually the most fulfilling that I, I had in a long time previously before that. And I was like, wow, this is this is awesome. Like all the chaos that I've went through when, uh, when I didn't have a coach or a mentor, and now I do, thankfully, so it's a lot yeah. less. But at the end of the day, seeing them not have to go through any of that and get the success, you know, so, so much faster. It was such a blessing. For sure. For sure. I'm actually considering doing that at some point as well when things start settling down as a coaching aspect. So I can just see from, from your reaction, how much joy you get out of doing that. Yeah. Uh, no, it's awesome. And, uh, and it's just, you know, the power of raising everybody else up together as one, it's, uh, you know, it's super powerful. So How else can people get a hold of you? Uh, just Instagram and Facebook, man. Uh, okay. Instagram, Pro Capital, Instagram, I mean, Instagram, Facebook, Justin Cromarty. Okay. Uh, those are probably the two best ways to get in touch with me. Cool. And uh, go from there. Cool. Love it, man. Yeah. Well, uh, I appreciate you so much. I really do. And uh, if you guys want to get a hold of me, you can find me at brandonelliotinvestments.com. Otherwise, Instagram, Brandon Elliott Investments, or Facebook.com slash Brandon Elliott REI. You guys are definitely going to want to hit that subscribe button on iTunes, leave a review. Let me know what you guys think about it and send me over a screenshot anywhere on any of those platforms that you can find me, you subscribing and leaving a review and I will send you my book action driven, absolutely free. I got it somewhere around here, but you guys know what it is. You guys can check it out on Amazon as well as $25 on there, or I can send it to you absolutely free. You just got to hit that subscribe button so you get that notification every single Monday when the new episode is released. And let me know what you guys think on the review. So I appreciate you guys all for tuning in. Till next time, Justin, like I said, man, you are the man. I do truly appreciate you diving in on here and uh, and giving back. Yeah, man, appreciate you having me on. I really uh, enjoyed this opportunity and looking forward to doing it again sometime soon. Hell yeah, brother. This has been another episode of Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast brought to you by Brandon Elliott. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Also, please don't forget to like, share, and leave a comment below. Thanks again for joining. Until next time, God bless.